Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. Thank you for being here as ever under what are difficult circumstances this week. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I figure that might be the case. I don't think that this is going to be one of the fun ones, folks. Um, still coming to terms with, I guess, or dealing with the Champions League action on Wednesday evening. We went to Munich with some vague hope, I guess. There's always that part of me anyway. Maybe some of you are, are different, but there's always just this little part of me that, that hopes, that, that just won't let go of that belief that because it's Arsenal, it's Arsenal Football Club, that we could do something. We could do something a bit special or just something even okay. That would have been fine. I could have dealt with a 1-1 or even a, a 2-1 defeat. That would be for, Take that back to London, that's okay. They do say you can't win it in the first leg, but you can lose it, which is kind of silly when you think about it, because if you can lose it, that means someone else has won it. And unfortunately, it wasn't us that won it. It was, uh, it was Bayern Munich. And the repercussions of that defeat, the repercussions of the performance are huge, I think, because after falling away in the uh, Premier League... Losing to Watford, losing to Chelsea. The Champions League was the last thing, I think, that could have given us a real sense of something this season. And I'm not like dismissing the FA Cup or anything like it. I love the FA Cup. If you uh, listen regularly, you will know. But just for a sense of the team being able to do something, being greater than the sum of its parts, achieving something that it hasn't for years because this is the seventh successive season we've gone out in the round of 16 uh, from the Champions League. It's the same old story. So we were looking to Europe for, for just to give us a bit of variety, a bit of something different. And unfortunately, it was just more of the same. And uh, the same clearly isn't good enough anymore. Um, the game itself poised 1-1 at half time, And you're thinking, okay, Right, one one was a little bit fortunate to be to be level. Alexis missed the penalty, then took an air shot, then produced a brilliant finish to make it one one. You're thinking, oh my god, only Arsenal could score a goal like that away from home in the Champions League. Give a penalty, just took it away, put it away. You know, be a penalty taker, just stick it in the fucking top corner or the other corner. Don't hit it straight down the middle of the goalkeeper. But we got away with that, and in the final stages of the first half, Granit Xhaka had a chance to to score. Mesut Ozil had a chance to score, and you were kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe. I know we're being outplayed here, but just maybe. 
Maybe. But no. It was not to be. Having gone behind, of course, to that goal by uh, Aryan Robin very early in the game. Um, I mean, look, the guy pulled off an unbelievable, unbelievable trick by coming inside on his favoured left foot and curling a shot into the top corner. I mean, who could have seen that coming? Nobody. It was just like, oh, wow. So like that bit in, uh, is it Rocky, where he boxes left-handed and then switches, and the other guy is like, whoa, what the fuck is going on here? All of a sudden, he's boxing the other way. I'm so confused. How could we have known that Aryan Robin would like to come in and spank a shot with his left foot? Francis Coquelin did not cover himself in glory there. In fact, he, he went the other way. Rather than stand in front of Robin, he kind of went, uh, here, Mr. Robin, Mr. Robin, please, um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, there's a wonderful amount of space for you to uh, saunter into there, and if you'd like to crack a shot into the top corner, that'd be absolutely fantastic. And I'm thinking, like, what the, What are you doing? What are you doing? It's the basic stuff, and that, that's what gets you so worried about this Arsenal team. They just can't do the basics. And I think Bayern should have scored a couple more, maybe, before we scored. And then you won one at halftime, and then Lauren Koscielny goes off. Lauren Koscielny goes off, and you're looking, and it's like Gabrielle... And uh, Shkodran Mustafi at centre-half against a Bayern team playing like that. And all you can think of is... And lo and behold, within 13 minutes, it's Arsenal 1, Bayern Munich 4. 4, 4, 4. And the defending, it has to be said, was really, really, really bad. Really bad. You know, Philip Lamb getting to the byline and putting a cross in. I wonder, was there any suggestion before the game that we should, you know, not let that happen? And having seen Lewandowski miss a number of headers in the first half, do you think there might have been some discussion about, hey, let's not give him another chance because he's quite good, this fella. He might actually score one. And uh, so it was. And then 3-1, Mustafi... Uh, still recovering from being outjumped by Lewandowski, decided to impart knowledge on Hector Bellerin in the middle of the game. Not looking at where the man was or really looking at where the ball was. And Thiago just sort of ghosted past him and scored a goal. And you're thinking, what the fuck? Where is the concentration? Where is the organization? Uh, But at 3-1, okay, it's bad. But 3-1, you consolidate, right? You dig in, you just say, look, we are not going to concede another goal. A 2-0 win against Bayern Munich at home, it's difficult, but we did it. We did it last season, and that's enough to see you through. Just make sure you don't concede again. Stay organized. Stay compact. Concentrate. But we didn't have anyone on the pitch who, you know, who who could do that. There was nobody who took responsibility. There was no leadership. And I know it's one of those intangibles, but, you know, a 3-1 down, just fucking sort yourselves out, uh, play simply, defend well, or at least try to defend well, and try and keep the tie alive. But, uh, you know, it it didn't work out that way. And uh, they scored 4-1 late on. Oxlade-Chamberlain made a mistake, and it was 5-1, and it was... It was terrible. It was a terrible result, and it has raised a lot of questions about the future of the uh, the manager, um, such as it is. 
the future of the club, how we're going to cope with whatever happens this summer or should happen this summer, where it leaves us. Um, It leaves us almost certainly out of the Champions League uh, and only with the FA Cup to play for. And it raises questions about why we performed like that. Why is it that when we went to 3-1, the players just imploded? They have to take some responsibility uh, for this themselves. It's not all about the manager. They are his players. These are his tactics. They're working to his instructions. And I get that. But, you know, there's got to be a measure of... um, culpability on their part as well. These aren't ingenues. There are experienced players out there, international players, almost every single one of them, and they went into their shells. They allowed themselves not to believe, and, and um, it, was, uh, it was very, very disappointing. So what we're going to do in this podcast, I think, is uh, talk to a few different people and get a few different perspectives. Maybe all the perspectives will be the same. I'm not 100% sure because, uh, A, I don't really know who I'm going to be talking to yet, and B, maybe everyone's just going to think the same way after what happened last night. But we're going to talk, rather than to one person for 20 or 30 minutes, talk to a few people for you know 10 minutes and see, see what they think about it all. And uh, first... Let's catch up with uh, James from Gunner Blog, currently prowling the mean streets of Soho, looking for a way to uh, take his mind off what happened on Wednesday night. Probably nothing much doing around there. Uh, hello to you. Hello. Hello. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Uh, today, even. Today. Um, well, look, it's uh, it's disappointing, isn't it, after uh, after the game on, on Wednesday night. I wanted to ask you, you, you spoke, uh, well, on Twitter, you were talking about the mentality, and it goes back to something we talked about on the Arscast Extra the other week about the mentality mentality of the players uh, and Arsene Wenger always talking about the mentality of the players they looked kind of broken didn't they at 3-1 and uh... yeah yeah they really did I mean I think it's it, it was alarming you know we went in at half time level which I thought given how much Bayern dominated was was a pretty good state of affairs yeah. but they didn't <laughs> they didn't uh, seem to take any encouragement from that and as soon as Koscielny went off the pitch you know, the team just collapsed. And I know that it's Koscielny is an important player. But if you think back to, like, I don't know, Arsenal's best team, say, say in 2004, how many games, look how many games Pascal Segan played in that season right? <laughs> with, all his, with all his flaws as a player. But because the team was right and the setup was right, we were able to overcome it. If an individual's departure can have that much impact, I think there has to be something fundamentally wrong. Mm, that's a fair point. Actually, think back to the opening day of the 2003-2004 season, and I, Saul Campbell was sent off after about 20 minutes, and Arsenal beat Everton 2-1 that day. You know, the idea of being able to cope with 10 men, um, let alone uh, bringing on a, a substitute. Um, it was very worrying, though, wasn't it, that the players just weren't able to consolidate in any way that at 3-1 even uh, as difficult as it would be you know if you can dig in and just keep it to that scoreline you give yourself a chance a uh, small chance yeah. all the same but they 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 just i i don't know it, it it felt like not that they'd given up but that like i don't know how to describe it what what do you think it, i mean it it did feel a bit like that i mean the, the thing is <laughs> Because the discourse after the game has been so much about Arsene Wenger's future, uh, we're almost not really talking about the result itself. And and, and actually, you know, when the game was at 2-1 or 3-1, 
the tie was kind of still alive. You know, Arsenal mm. still had a chance if they were able to keep things tight. You know, if they came back at home, there was a chance. But the fact that they didn't seem to latch on to that idea, they did so little to protect what little they had. I mean, they, they completely disintegrated. I think Arsene Wenger said on French television, something like, you know, we cracked, you know, mentally, in terms of morale, we cracked. And that, I mean, is like a, a pretty damning indictment. But that was that was exactly what we saw. It, it raises more questions about the manager and the manager's future and what he might do. And, uh, you know, my gut is telling me more and more that come the summer, he, he won't be the manager. Um, mm. He might decide to, to walk away. Now, the line from the club coming out um, in the wake of the Byron game is that no decision is going to be made until the summer, which to me seems astonishing um, if that's true. Now, it might well just be a public line. OK, this is what we're going to say, uh, you know, to, to keep to keep things relatively calm at this moment in time. But if there is going to be a change, surely some planning has to be put into that uh, during these last few months of the season as well. Yeah, I mean, of course it does. There have to be not just contingencies. I don't even think you can talk about it as a contingency anymore. I think it's much more than that because I think the chance feels all the more real that he will go. And I also think on the other side of it, I think increasingly there's an argument that maybe there would be something to be said for some kind of decision before the end of the season, a public decision, because I I worry that what we're going to get now is so much dissent from the stands and from the fans and actually, if Arsene was to say, look, I've made my decision, these are my last few months as manager, that, that would really unify the support behind the club, you know? Mm. Do you, I mean, do you think there's any realistic way of that happening? I mean, I don't. Um, well, look, what people always cite is what happened with Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. He said he was going and the team, you know, slacked off a bit, he fell, and he always said it was a great mistake to be public about that. Uh, and, and Pellegrini, his team kind of slept, slept walked a bit last season as well when mm. that happened. I, I think this is a different situation because I think that I think that the alternative is so frightening in terms of how much I don't know. I, I really worry about how the fans are going to respond. I mean, if think we've got some difficult league games coming up too, I, I think it might be for the best. Do I think it's realistic? And do I think Arsenal will do it? No. I don't think so. I, I think we are going to be left in the dark. And I guess the only hope really is that they're not quite as in the dark behind the scenes. And, and, and if, you know, replacements do have to be identified, that process is underway. It ought to be underway already, really. Yeah. And of course, there is the other side of this is that if it were a case of just going out and getting a new manager... I won't say it's easy, but it's a lot less complicated than the current situation at Arsenal because of the uh, the boardroom situation, because of uh, the the structures that are in place at the moment. Arsene Wenger is a man with, uh, you know, he's he's everywhere in Arsenal Football Club. So when he goes, as we've spoken about before, there is this there is this enormous vacuum that needs to be filled by not just him but by a number of men. Yeah, and and I tell you, that's sort of I think why. It feels quite so gloomy today because what we saw on the pitch was an Arsenal team who looked like they didn't really have a plan. But I think when you step back from that, what's arguably more troubling is that we're a club that doesn't seem to have a plan. (laughs) And and I think like, I, I hate to talk about the club as a business, but any football club or any business or any individual 
really wants to have an idea, well, you know, this is what we're aiming for. In five years' time, we want to be here. In 10 years' time, we want to be here. In a year's time, we want to be here. And at Arsenal, for various reasons, there is a complete absence of that. You know, to, down to the point where we don't even know who the manager's going to be. But I think even beyond that, you know, beyond our kind of basic ideals to which we, for which we owe pretty much everything to Arsene Wenger in terms of like playing strategy and, you know, things, stuff like that. There's, there's nothing. So it's a scary, scary time. It's a scary time. We've got a team who don't seem to know what the plan is, but more in a, a club who, who seem bereft of one as well. How much of that do you think comes down to, to Stan Kroenke? And I think when... When people talk about him, there is this idea that he doesn't really care about what happens from a sporting point of view beyond keeping things at a reasonably consistent level. So if we're in the Champions League or if we're, you know, top four or finish second or third, you know, we have that stature as a club. We have that income coming in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but the number of emails I've got down the years from uh, American Arsenal fans who say, listen, Stan Kroenke owns this franchise, that franchise, that franchise, and at none of them does he really display any kind of sporting ambition for it. Uh, and, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to talk about Arsenal as a franchise, but he is the majority shareholder of this football club. And in that time, in the time that he's been the majority shareholder, we have never once heard from him anything about what he wants Arsenal to achieve as a football club. We know what he wants it to achieve as part of his portfolio, but from a football point of view, what it does on the pitch, there has never been any indication from him that he actually cares about it in in the smallest way. No, I mean, quite the opposite. He's literally said, you know, you wouldn't get into it if you were just there to chase silverware. Uh, Look, I think a lot of it, I think there is a problem there, of course, you know, with uh, the owner and beyond that, the, the board are kind of, uh, I, I guess you would characterize it as a, a lack of sporting ambition and a, a lack of interest, really, in the sporting side of the club uh, and a lack of real desire to make the club truly, truly competitive. But I think that while I understand pinning the blame on them, you can see how it's come about yeah. because... Arsene Wenger has been there across 20 years. And in a sense, he's been so autonomous and so commanding and so in control of that side of the club that there hasn't been the same onus on those individuals to take that responsibility. And I think, obviously, that's what's scariest about his departure is that people like even Gazidis go from a role where they don't have to take a great interest in the playing side to potentially a, a, a very, very active role. And... I actually think if you were to extend any criticism to Arsene Wenger, I think one valid criticism would be that in the years leading up to his departure, which really factors in the last five years, I think more could have been done. And maybe it's not his responsibility, to be fair. It's the board's responsibility too. But more could have been done to make that evolutionary process we're about to bark upon smoother. You know, we, we always talk about this sporting director why wasn't a sporting director appointed in 2014, you know, to spend these three years of Arsenal's contract bedding themselves into the club? I, I know it seems easy to say now, but I feel like we've left ourselves with an enormous amount to do now. Yeah, 
It's a very good point, and actually, you'd wonder, you know, why it hasn't happened. Is Arsene Wenger um, open to working with that sporting director? Um, you know, we, we spoke about it, Arscast Extra, on, on Monday when Robert Perez said, you know, that's a role that he would like to do at the club, but even with his relationship with Arsene Wenger, um, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be happening. So, look, given given all that uh, is is for us to deal with as well what is your what is your feeling about what should happen in the summer should it should arson extend or is that it now do you know what i, I really it, it, obviously <laughs> i i didn't expect one result to affect how i felt about it so dramatically but i think the reason I feel terrible today and I feel sort of hung over and punch drunk from it is because what I'm acknowledging really is the death of a, a dream. And that dream that I think the flame was kept alive was that Arsene Wenger would go out on this tremendous high. And, and that had to be really either winning the elusive Champions League or reclaiming the Premier League title. And I think, you know, I, I, I sort of in the back of my mind always had that there. And I think last night... For me, that was extinguished uh, in very emphatic fashion by Bayern Munich. And, uh, and watching that performance and watching the reaction to it since, I find it very, very hard to make a case for an extension from, from either the board's point of view or Arsene's. And so I think, I think it is time up and I it pains me to say it, but I think it is time up. And I think... You know, Arsene Wenger, we talk about him as this incredible servant to the club, which he has been, and everything he's done for Arsenal and the loyalty that he's showed. And I think the last kind of loyal, selfless thing that we require from him is to make this transition as easy as possible. Um, and, and I don't know how that happens, uh, but I think that's the task of the next few months, along with desperately trying to ensure that this season... You know, that he doesn't go out on a real low because mm -hmm. if Arsenal miss out on the top four or, you know, finish below Tottenham, things like that, it would be a real shame. It would be a real shame. Um, although any idea that it would tarnish his legacy, I do think is nonsense. I think in time, his legacy will be very, very safely assured. All right. Well, look, uh, we'll be chatting on Tuesday in the Arscast Extra after our uh, crushing defeat to Sutton in the FA Cup. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, listen, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. See you then. We will, of course, be talking to James on Tuesday morning. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you after the Sutton United FA Cup game on Monday night, uh, no point in recording the podcast before the game. So you just got to wait an extra 24 hours. And, you know, don't blame me. Blame the BBC. Uh, as I said, though, this podcast today, we're going to try and get some different perspectives on Wenger and uh, and everything else. Um, so from a non-Arsenal point of view, I'm delighted to welcome to the show uh, Daniel Storey, uh, who works for Football 365 and has also recently been crowned uh, the Football Supporters Federation Writer of the Year. Congratulations to you and welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. From your perspective as a, a non-Arsenal fan, but all, obviously somebody who writes a lot about uh, football, how did you view Arsenal's uh, Champions League exploits this week? Seven successive seasons going out in the round of 16. I, you know, at least you could say we're consistent. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really it's quite sad to watch as a, as a near neutral. I have to say, I, like many others, I really want Arsenal and Arsene Wenger to do well. Um I'm as sad as anyone that this this sort of constant has become Groundhog Day has been used over and over again, but it really does feel like that. And 
the problem is that there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. This does just seem like a complete cycle, a year, whether it's a year-on-year year cycle or month-to-month month cycle. It doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. Um, it feels like we're having the same arguments year after year, and yet the only thing that is clear is that we are at least one year closer to, to Arsene Wenger retiring or, or moving upstairs. Mm. Um, other than that, as you say, it's it's completely predictable. The The, the actual... The catastrophe of the defeat on 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 um, on Wednesday wasn't predictable. I don't think people saw that coming. People didn't see this as a as a particularly vintage Bayern team, and didn't particularly see Carlo Ancelotti getting the best out of them at the moment. But it was the same again. It was the shambolics. It was the the three one defeat to Monaco. It was the five one defeat to Bayern. It was it was all those things. And yet, each year it feels like more and more and more piled on top. Mm. How, how much of it, um, from your point of view, anyway, looking at it, was down to Bayern being good or Arsenal being bad? I know there's a balance to be had in in that in every game, almost. You know that there's a, there's a, a touch of uh, each side of that. But um, you know, we going into the game, as you said, people were looking at this Bayern side and thinking, well, maybe. But on the night, Arsenal just never got into the game. Yeah, and if if you if you look at it. With a clear head and a neutral head, you'd look at that Arsenal starting lineup and you'd look at the Bayern Munich and you'd say probably, uh, on current form, Alexis Sanchez and Lauren Koscielny are probably the only two players that gets into that Bayern side on merit. Um, now it's very easy with glorious hindsight to say, well, therefore, of course, Bayern Munich were going to win. Mm. Um, but the age-old issue with Arsenal is that they constantly make things difficult for themselves. You know, the first 20 minutes, I think they made three tackles and had 19% possession. There was no fight. It looked like they were um, at least assisting their own downfall. Mm. And then, having got themselves back into the game fortuitously or otherwise, they then do exactly the same thing at the start of the second half. This is not even a side refusing to learn over a period of months or years. This is a side (laughs) refusing to learn over the pace of an hour. Yeah, and making those same mistakes again, and that is what is so frustrating. The, um, yeah, I mean that the, there has been player churn. There's been turnover of players uh, mm. over the years, and we we look at the one constant uh, over that period of time. I mean, if the if the psychological issues that Arsenal have, and I think it's clear that there is a psychological issue or a mentality issue with this team. It's it's got to be coming from Arsene Wenger and his ability to imprint that in so many ways on so many different players uh, who've come from so many different places and backgrounds. It's almost impressive. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. There's no way that Arsenal could be anything other than a team created in their manager's vision, a personification of their manager, simply because that's what happens when a manager stays in charge for that long, particularly as with Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, particularly when that manager is so omnipotent and is so insistent on doing all the minutiae within the club, of course that's going to happen. Now, occasionally that can have benefits. We know that. We we saw that earlier in, in Wenger's reign and we certainly saw it um, maybe seven or eight years ago when he when he kept that team mentality together. He kept them in the top four despite the stadium and the lower transfer budgets, etc. Mm. Now it feels like we're seeing the negative side of that. It feels like all of Wenger's flaws are being um, laid bare every time they come up against an elite opponent or an opponent that they perennially struggle against. And there's no secret anymore. 
You know, this is yeah. this is every, everyone listening to your your podcast will know. You know, there's no secret anymore. So that only shows what a, an opposing manager is going to think. Someone like Carlo Ancelotti is going to think. Do you know what? If we get into them here and we get their heads down. We can we can really really embarrass them, and that's exactly what happened. Mm, there has been in in the last few weeks. I mean, one of the things that people talk about with Wenger is that he's not necessarily the most tactically flexible manager, um, mm. or that he doesn't do tactics, which you know is is kind of ridiculous because you're not a top flight manager for thirty years without doing any kind of tactics. But some managers are much more focused on that side of the game, and Wenger is a bit more free expression, if you like. But over the last couple of weeks, we saw it at Chelsea where he started with a four three three with. Ozil out on the left uh, against Bayern Munich. He talked pre-game about how they were going to play four in midfield uh, with Mesut Ozil as a, a second striker. It, it feels like almost like a, a drowning man trying to find the uh, what do you call it the 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 life boy that someone throws in from the side yeah. in order to get his team working again. Yeah, and uh, as you say, yeah, it feels like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic at the moment, which is. <sighs> I, feel, I, I do feel slightly for Wenger in that because he is clearly looking for other answers. And one point I made on Football 365 today is let's not, you know, let's not make this all about Wenger. Clearly this will be because there's talk of him leaving and it's the willy won't he and, and, and Arsenal don't help themselves in that, I don't think. But there were some seriously poor performances from players who Arsene Wenger has put a lot of faith in and players who have played very well in the past. He knows they can do this, whether that's a question of motivation, whether that's a question of, um, as you say, mentality or not. Mm. There are a few players in that squad who need to have a good look at themselves because if a new manager does come in and does, you know, if it is a manager who who deems to be a little bit more tactical or demands more from their players, a few of these Arsenal players are going to find out very quickly that it's not all plain sailing. Yeah, it could be a, a pretty rude awakening for some of them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's deal with the hypothetical. That let's say towards uh, the end of this season, uh, Arsene Wenger decides or, or, or announces that he's going to go and this is going to be his final uh, final season at the club. Um, there are issues surrounding the recruitment of a new manager because of the way that Arsenal is set up and structured and the board and the, the you know the lack of a football director or a sporting director and all those kinds of things. But... Um, do you think there would be people who would be interested in the Arsenal job, but not necessarily immediately after Arsene Wenger? Because of, let's say, what happened at Manchester United, yeah. the way that that went with David Moyes, um, that the guy who follows the legacy manager like Ferguson or Wenger, uh, not that he's on a hiding to nothing, but it becomes very difficult because that guy is still casting a long shadow over over the club and, and what this new guy is going to do. Yeah, and there's, 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 there's almost two distinct questions to answer. The first is what happens to Arsene Wenger, whether he moves, as I suppose is more likely, moves upstairs into that sort of sporting director do, role. Do you think he would do that? See, sorry? Do you think he would do that? I, I would be... I, I, actually, I actually do think he would do that. I, I, I suspect what has happened is that he doesn't want to leave yet or or I mm. think he would probably, it would have become obvious already. I think he'd like to stay longer and longer. I don't think Arsenal, it's what he knows and loves. I don't think he is comfortable walking away. Um, so I think he would like to do that. The question is whether that makes sense for Arsenal and whether Arsenal, you know, as a board, as a structure, are going to do what's best, what they think is best for them yeah. or what they think is kinder to Wenger. If he moves upstairs, I think they would go down the... Um, a 
you know, for want of a better phrase, project manager approach, whether that's someone like Thomas Tuchel, who has that mentality of wanting to build something, which is clearly what Arsenal have been you know, known for under Wenger. Mm. If Wenger doesn't stay on, then I think they maybe are more likely to go try and get someone like Diego Simeone, who is a rip the rule book up and start again sort of manager. He will be completely different to Wenger. Um, as I say, it, it, it slightly, not angers me is the wrong word, but it slightly frustrates me as a non-Arsenal fan that Arsenal have put so many eggs in this Wenger basket. And I don't just mean in terms of his management. I mean, in terms of he holds all the cards in this. Um, he will decide when he leaves. There's no doubt about that. I suspect he will also decide what role he has, whether that's nothing or moving upstairs, which to me doesn't scream of long-term succession planning. And that does slightly worry me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I- uh, we've, we saw what happened at Manchester United. David Moyes is the wrong, was the wrong manager anyway. So let's rule that out as, you know, Arsenal might choose the right guy and it might work. But that lingering presence of Alex Ferguson over the club was not healthy for anyone. And I don't see how it can be healthy if Wenger does the same. Mm. And j- j- just very finally, obviously there's still a way to go this season. We're only in mid-February and um, whether people like it or not, there is uh, a measure of competition in terms of mm. finishing as high up the table as as they possibly can. Do the players, I mean, I think you're right to, to focus on the players to an extent as well. They have a responsibility to perform and and to do better and not necessarily be as, uh, as easily or give up quite as easily as they did uh, against Bayern. But I mean, it's a, it's a collective effort here to try and get these players' heads up and for them to... Um, to finish in a way or finish the season in a way that if there is a change, then it it, it helps the new man coming in um, to, to maintain the, the standards at the club that Arsene Wenger has set, which when you step back and look at them fairly objectively, are not that bad. No. Uh, how I've said it before is Arsenal are a club that have got used to rolling a dice and rolling fours. And fours has always been a good enough for the top four or for their aims or for enough for Wenger to stay in his job. Their issue this season with the strength of that top four, uh, well, top six, as it rarely has ever been before, is that rolling those fours might not be good enough. And Wenger has somehow got to find a way to motivate a group of players that, to be honest, at the moment, don't look motivated. They don't look like it matters enough, which is a huge, huge problem for a manager like Wenger. And you're absolutely right. They have got to find a way of of staying in that top four because it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to attract a new manager and attract the players that manager will want if they're not in the top four. Much, much harder. All right, Daniel, we better leave it there. Thanks a million for your time. Not a problem. Thank you. You can find Daniel's stuff on Football365. That's football365.com. And good stuff it is too. You can also follow him on Twitter at DanielStory85. That's at DanielStory85. Story with an E, a bit like the Arsenal legend, Peter Story. So there you go. Right, we're going to take a short little break and we're going to be back with more, more, just, just more right after this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Now, I did say we were getting a number of different perspectives on this, Arsenal or otherwise, and uh, we're going to speak to somebody who was at the game, covering the game from a journalistic point of view. Miguel Delaney is the uh, chief football writer for The Independent. Hi there. Hi, Andrew. Um, where to start, I guess, uh, the performance on the night, the, the defeat itself, the, the manner of the defeat, the fact that it's happened not for the first time, uh, it's been a very difficult 48 hours, I guess, for, for Arsene Wenger. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, like, we can't get away from the fact that everything with this game, and maybe suppose with this last fortnight, we've seen it all before. And that's possibly why it could all add up to something we maybe didn't expect to see even this year, uh, which is possibly Wenger walking away. I mean, I think there's two things, two images I take from from the trip or from the game. Uh, We've basically, the way Arsenal collapsed after the third goal, I mean, to be honest, the the nature of it actually, and the way kind of the Bayern players are just walking through them, and it, it reminded me of the Brazil-Germany game in the World Cup. Mm. And, except, and except for Espina, it could have been a lot worse, I think, the scoreline. And I suppose the second thing, and even more more sadly, was just, I mean, it was Wenger's demeanour afterwards. Before he walked in for his press conference, we were actually discussing our, among ourselves, with the journalists there, like, what sort of form be like, I, like I think we even said, like, this would be a night where he, he never does it, but he within his rights to, like, throw a load of the players under the bus and maybe could, <laughs> like something different like that might get a reaction out of them. Because um, we've seen him and despondent a few times, but uh, did, 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 like I've, I've never seen him <laughs> despondent or deflated like that. And it, like, it, it was kind of, like, it, it is sad to watch, which is the, the biggest pity of it, really. I mean, and, and I suppose this, this is the thing. I mean, it gets to the point when people are actually pitying a manager. It's, it's never a good sign when that's the kind of primary theme. But it's, the one thing, I mean, to be honest, I've uh, written a few times, I suppose, I, I, I've been of the opinion that Wenger really probably uh, could have gone as early as 2012 and it wouldn't have made too much tangible difference to what Arsenal did in that time. Um, I, I just I, I just think that there's so many elements in which he's, you know, what what, what, he, what he did that used to make him so great just aren't as, aren't as effective anymore. Mm. Um, but, but in saying that, yeah, it's still... I mean, you can have that professional opinion, but then there's also kind of personal sympathy. And one of the most frustrating things I find about even dealing with anger is, say, you go up to him on a Friday press conference when he's kind of relaxed and he's willing to chat, and you talk to him about anything to do with the game, anything with the sport in general, that's not Arsenal. And he remains so brilliantly perceptive. Like, I think he's, I think he's the best. He's just, just to purely discuss football with him. He's, st- he's still the best at him. And even, like, as an example, even like that, that comment he made 
two years ago about South America producing strikers. I think the amount of times I've, I've used that myself, the amount of times I've seen other journalists go back to it, because it's, like, it's one of those kind of just you know, enlightened opinions that you kind of, you, these kind of only you know, really genius thinkers of football get. But then it's hard to square that with this perpetual blind spot he seems to have about, it, about his own team. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the one of the most frustrating things with him. It is, I guess, it's uh, hard to be introspective at times, and he's obviously had to be uh, introspective. Um, you know, you were you were there. You talked about his demeanor at the press conference, and the press conference was was shut off after three questions by the Arsenal yeah. communications director, and that in itself is a very unusual thing uh, to happen now I, you know he's normally a guy as bad as things will get will absolutely and utterly front up to them uh, in front yeah. of the press you know he's not afraid to, um, uh, to to be asked the difficult questions and there have been some difficult questions so I wonder was that the club in a way trying to protect him or acting under his instructions I guess I guess we won't know but there seemed to be like a, a maybe it's just me and just from viewing on Twitter there seemed to be a very large contingent of the 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 UK press corps there. Um, yeah, I, I it felt it. Now I'm not trying to uh, be uh, in any way uh, rude about this, but it, it, it felt a little bit like vulture circling because of the uh, game and because of because of what might happen if it went badly. I don't. I don't know. And I think, to be honest, like, you, you, you'd get you just just for the fact it's Munich. It's a, it's a nice trip. It's easy to organise. There's so many flights from London. I think to be, to be fair, and, and the fact it's a Champions League last sixteen game as well. Yeah. And no one, no other English team were playing this week in in the Champions League. I think there was always going to be a big contingent in that sense. I wouldn't say necessarily that uh, it's connected to that. But contrast, I think you actually see a lot of uh, disproportionate of English press at the return leg for Barcelona. Uh, PSG because everyone's kind of gearing up for it, and then a lot of people were talking about that last night. Everyone's gearing up for an end of an era piece there. Uh, I wouldn't quite. Also, there was quite an interesting dynamic last night in terms of that press conference. I kind of felt it myself. Like as you could, like obviously, you know, the nature of the job is it has to be a certain professionals. We have to explain certain decisions. You know, so much of the game is wrapped up in how much money they make from broadcasting, from media. So that has, that has to be one side of it. But then there is also a threshold with these things. I mean, because. As Wenger sat down, he sat to answer his first question. And when we'd seen, like I was sitting in the press conference room and we'd seen, kind of say on Twitter or people texting us, some of the comments he'd made coming through from his actual flash interview TV. Yeah. And then it almost comes this thing like, it's no longer actually about um, interrogating a manager on a bad defeat. This was kind of, it felt as if it, was some, it felt as if kind of almost, you know, <laughs> un- unfairly, or not unfairly, but, you know, you, you, you're interrogating someone at kind of the moment of it goes beyond professionalism to a kind of deep personal crisis for them because I mean that that's what they, it's his, it's his life's work I suppose and suddenly it could be ending not in the manner he imagined but with all these kind of you know great criticism great doubts possibly confirmed sure uh, and I, I think that that kind of runs into why it was um, finished so early uh, I, I think it was the club trying to protect him in that sense because as you say I think Wenger um, would usually front up in that sense and some of the, like he, he did use. Uh, I think conspicuously brute language, even in the short time he spoke. I mean, stuff like a nightmare, mentally jaded. I think he was mentally collapsed as well. The players have no response. Um, but I mean, it just comes back to the same issue. I mean, like, like that, that, that really struck me last night. Just that this kind of ongoing softness with the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he can't get away from that. It it has been marked uh, you know over the last number of years particularly when you compare it and contrast it to 
the, the most successful years that he had at the club were with a team that was actually quite uh, uncompromising, I think would be one way of putting it, but really yeah. tough. You know, that these were guys who could yeah. play, but they could also kick the shit out of the opposition as well. And now we have a team that's falling short all the time and and maybe not yeah. as physically robust as, as those previous teams and whatever. It was interesting. I did a thing with, with Robert Perez last week and he talked about how Technically, he felt that the current squad, because he trains with them, technically he felt yeah. that they were better than the squad that he played for, which is a lot to yeah. say considering that. But it's to do with the the character, the mentality, and I think as well, to a certain extent, the physical uh, side of the game is something that Arsenal um, have struggled with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, was it like, like last Friday, actually, um, about a few hours before, Ian Wright um, made, made his big claim on BBC. I, I was actually doing something with him on um, on the Premier League's uh, Premier League productions, and he was he was chatting. I, I, wrote, I wrote some of this in my piece today, but he was chatting away about how um, you know when when when, when Wenger f- f- first came to the club, his very first game actually, the two 0 against Blackburn when Wright scored twice, and he said like Wenger came up to him um, after the game and kind of was really enthusiastically praised Wright. For the way he finished it, like just and, and it, it wasn't even kind of it didn't even feel like man management it, uh, the way the way Wright was talking. It felt like just you know a proper football enthusiast's appreciation for something good. And can I just Wright was saying that was so different to what he'd seen before or what he had before because it, it was kind of just beforehand it was the uh, you know George Graham and Bruce were so much harder. And you and but my, my thinking after that was I suppose it's interesting because that was such a, a hard edged team. We, we've gone on about it so often in, in the time since, but. Wenger actually amplified that team by by giving, by, by his specific approach, gave that hard edge, just kind of just um, aesthetic, creative side, and and that, that team that team was almost a perfect marriage mm. of, of, kind of of physicality and finesse. But you know, as the game has gone on, and possibly also, I mean, there's such a wider issue that Wenger's got themselves. You know, modern players are so much more costed, and uh, you know, they haven't come through the same. Um, background in terms of their football education it's, it's also so much more uh, hermetically sealed um, but but now whereas once that 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 ability to be so positive about his players and to kind of to, to trust their talent essentially was such a positive now it's all it's almost become a weakness because it allows players to uh, to almost get I mean you can, you can like you can see it with some of the current it allows some, some players to get away with subpar performances and I think that that's been the issue with Ben over the past few years I mean I think there's there's a lot of players that you get sent to just too indulged that he gives them too many chances. Mm. Um, and again, I, I, know, I know it's become such a cliche, this whole leaders thing and all that kind of stuff. But the, I suppose, A, the amount of repeat title, intelligent repeat title winners that, that go on about it. And I don't think it's so much a, it's a leader thing per se. Like, well, I did something with Rio Ferdinand last year and he was going on about Arsenal. I think, it was, to be honest, it was at the point of yet another periodic crisis that we've become so familiar with. But he, he was talking about you know the, that old team of Wright of, of of Adams and his United team. What always stood out was it wasn't leaders. It's that they had a culture, or, or sorry, a core of players that just set a certain standard all the time. And if, if, if anyone dropped below that standard, we made sure they'd know. Mm. Um, and, he, and usually, with Ferguson on another level, if, if people could have dropped from those standards too often, they'd, they'd be very quickly got out of the club. And you just, you just don't feel that's the case with the modern Arsenal. That, you know, you, you don't get the sense that does that those same exacting standards that. And it's almost because so much of Wenger's best football is about, um, you know, almost facilitating, allowing talent to flourish. And that, that, takes, that takes time and it takes patience. And when it comes off, it's absolutely brilliant. 
But the wonder is now it's whether it's gone too far to the other side. Sure. All right. Well, look, just very finally, very um, very quickly, the the situation that he finds himself in now is by any standards an unusual one because there's an offer on the table from Arsenal and ultimately he is the man who decides his own future. That The, the decision about whether to carry on with Arsene Wenger can only come from Arsene Wenger. Um We've spoken a little bit about it earlier in the podcast, just about the the situation at board level and the structures within Arsenal to be able to move into an era without Arsene Wenger, without a manager who does pretty much everything at the club and just employ uh, a new coach. That's got to be a concern for the club that if they've been, I would imagine, uh, fairly confident that Arsene Wenger would stay, if he moves away or he decides to call it quits, then they've got a lot of work to do. Well, that's exactly. I mean, I've actually done a piece on exactly that. I'm not sure if it's up yet in the independent, but because I, I just I just sent it before I got on the flight. But I mean, I mean, I think I think what we're gonna what's gonna happen in the next few months, we're gonna hear an awful lot about the Ferguson situation at United because there are so many parallels. Because I mean, these are actually, if you look around Europe in the past sixty years, these are actually very very distinctive situations because there aren't there are very few clubs that have had men like this in charge for so long and who, who are not 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 just all powerful of the club. But responsible for what the club is, yeah. Um, and I, I think I think there's two issues. I mean, we hear a lot about kind of the shape uh, Wenger is leaving Arsenal and the legacy and all that. But and I think it's it's absolutely true and obviously massively admirable that Arsenal are now um, you know they're they're they are or on the are on the brink of being a global super club. They've got an exceptional stadium, exceptional facilities. You know the the amount of money the club the club is capable of generating. Uh, the, the amount of potential there is huge, and that's that's all down to Wenger. But that's different from how the club is actually run within. Like the, the macro is different to the micro in that sense, because like from what you hear, as you've alluded to there, and what you hear from people, talk to people at the club is that exactly like with Ferguson and United, because these are such kind of genius, different men. Everything at the club is geared towards their specific, spe- or sorry, their, their specifications, their their personal preferences rather than what is necessarily best in general mm. for how a modern club should work. So there's going to be an awful lot of unstitching with that. And, and as we'll create a problem in this sense, I mean, it's already February now. All the rumours today are that there won't be a decision until the end of the season. So that, so that and as, as we know, it's not like Arsenal are kind of unstitching all these. They're make, almost making the same mistake as United in that way, in the sense that they're not actually doing anything about the future while the man is in the job. And that's possibly inevitable because, because of the nature of the men in the job. But but it potentially means that if he does actually go, Arsenal could have to deal with what is the biggest event in their history, bar the actual appointment of Enger in the first place. They're going to have to deal with this, this seismic change, with, with I suppose, with very little preparation, not all that much notice given the nature of the situation. And like it's... It, it, it could well. I don't know if it could be difficult. You, know, you never know who they could get in there. But it just—it means there's an awful lot of work to do there. Yeah, I mean, uh, and so obviously we'll, there's a bit of an onus if Arsene Wenger is deciding to to leave, that the at the very least the the board or those um, tasked with finding his replacement should be made a, a aware of that decision perhaps sooner yeah. than the end of the season. This is, uh, and to, to be fair to them, I suppose they're in quite a difficult. Uh, perspective just from the sense that because that could be construed then I suppose you know them putting pressure on the most important figure in the club's history almost trying to it it could be perceived as them trying looking to force him out the door even though that wouldn't be happening obviously they'd want clarity 
Uh, but, but any sort of pressure could be kind of spun that way. So it is, it is quite a, a tricky situation that way, quite a fragile situation in that sense. Mm. Um, and actually, I do have some sympathy for that because this is almost another kind of part of the sadness with it that Wenger obviously deserves to go out in the way he he should. I mean, in the way that he feels is best for him. But at the moment, that may not actually necessarily be the best for Arsenal. So there's there's a kind of there's, there's so many dilemmas throughout all of this really. Mm. Lots of variables, and uh, obviously we'll have to see how it plays out between uh, now and the end of the season. Miguel, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate no it. Thanks to Miguel. You can find him on Twitter, at Miguel Delaney, and he's also the chief football writer for The Independent, which is independent.co.uk. Still got a little bit to go in this show because we've got a couple more people to talk to, one of them not related to Arsene Wenger, and it's got something to do with a big event happening in uh, New York City. Uh, so if you're a U.S.-based gooner, check, uh, check that out a little bit later later on in the show but now for our final Arsenal perspective from this difficult week it's always a pleasure to welcome the man from East Lower hello there hello how are you I'm okay what would you like to talk about would you like to talk about something else I would like to talk about um anything else <laughs> no no not at all <laughs> It, it's. Uh, I, I have a strong suspicion I know what's on the menu. Yes. Oh, actually, we could talk about food or recipes or something. We could share recipes. I know a great beans on toast recipe. How does it go? Well, you do make some toast and put beans on it. Toast with butter, yeah? Uh, no. Oh, absolutely not. What? Why not? Because you've got beans. You don't need. You don't need butter on the toast when you've got the beans on top. Yes, you do. No. I think we've been through this before, you big fibber. Oh no, not at all. This is this is like this is like the toast and jam thing. Yes, exactly. With, with but, James, um, but no, you don't have butter on toast when you've got beans on toast. That's what the beans are for. They provide the the moistness that you need, but also but when not you the butter in the middle. No, but the 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 toast retains a measure of crunchiness if you don't if you don't butter it. You see. I'm not convinced by oh, this. Right. Okay, well, how can... This sounds like fake, fake news. <laughs> All right, well, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> right, Ar- Arsene Wenger, uh, Arsenal stuff. It's not, uh, it's not been a great week, and it's, uh, it's caused a, a measure of introspection and perhaps a, a decision from Arsene Wenger. As we're speaking, I'm seeing a, a, a story on the mirror. Now, I know we can take these stories with a pinch of salt, but basically it's saying that he has decided to go in the summer to walk away and to take a clean break from Arsenal. Blimey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was always on the cards, I suppose. If if it's going to happen, then um, I think it would make sense, and, and I think it is going to happen, I think it would make sense to to not leave the decision, uh, yeah, certainly not with his own bosses until the very end, because you need as much time to, and God knows Arsenal needs to do a lot of prep, preparation for this. So as much as much warning as possible would make sense to me. Um, but that being said, you you know, at, at the moment, at this moment in time, it's, it, it does feel like the end. It really does. But you know what it's like with Arsenal and, and with Arsene is a, a few results down the line things can feel a bit different so i, I wouldn't want to categorically state it but it does feel that way yeah i mean the mood does change very quickly but it, you know regardless of what you know two or three good results will do and it certainly will change things they just felt like there was something a finality to what happened uh, in munich on on wednesday night now losing to Bayern can happen lots yeah. of good teams lose to Bayern munich but it was the manner of it and, and the, I suppose, the, the way he looked 
after the after the the game when he was talking to BT Sport. You know, we've seen him go through some difficult times down the years, but to me, he looked just uh, almost shell shocked. Well, yeah, I, it's it's the same um, the same result as a year ago and and or a year and a half ago, and um, you know, you look back a few years, and we've had some absolute beatings in this competition we've had some absolute beatings in the premier league there have been plenty of warning signs that um that when we go or when when we you know when we lose or we lose badly we we, we do it in style and um it does you know he did look well what can you say anyway you know sort of three minutes no wonder he left what can what else can you say we've he's probably answered the same questions a thousand times now either he doesn't know what how to fix it which could be or or he's not telling them and i mean we don't know the answer you know it could be that he's shouting until he's blue in the face in the training ground, you know, make sure you don't let Robin go on, onto his left foot and then they do it anyway, in which case you've got to have a measure of sympathy for him. But it could just be that, that, um, that they're not being prepared properly. And, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a suspicion that, that many people have. Do you, do you think that's more likely than let's say players, many of whom have been there for, for quite a while, are just not hearing what he's saying anymore in the sense that, you know, you, you can only hear the same thing from the same man uh, any number of times before it just stops making any sense or before it stops resonating with you. Uh, you know, I, I everything you hear and everything you read, you know, suggests that over the last number of years, Arsene Wenger has thrown himself into his work. He's longer on the training ground. He's trying harder and harder than ever before to try and recreate the magic. And I just don't think that, that he's able to do that. And I think there is, to an extent, a an overriding culture at the club that doesn't necessarily get the best out of him, doesn't get the best out of the players. Uh, you know, the the ownership thing, I think, is a is an issue. Uh, whether people say that's separate from the sporting side of things, I think there's, there's just a comfortableness about everything, a familiarity about everything. And I think that probably more than lack of being prepared properly is, is what's causing us the problems. Well, I mean, I think that is a huge factor. There's, there's no doubt that and the, the irony is we've talked about this at the end of last season and then probably the two or three seasons before on, on, on the pod. And, the, and you know, the, the, to stay 20 years in a job, I've said exactly these words before, is a phenomenal achievement to, to have kept us up in the top echelon of, where, of the league for that long shows that, yes, he works his, he works his ass off and, and he does a, a pretty good job. But he's hit a ceiling where it, it's not going any it's just not going to happen anymore, is it? And um, mm. I think he, I think he's, it's dawning on him that that's true. And I think what he would have loved to have done is set the terms of his departure in terms of going out on a high. And I just don't think he can do that now. And, and um, I think it's all too clear that, like you say, the, the, the players are just not get, getting the message, assuming them, there is a message, assuming he set them out with detailed drills about how to stop Bayern. Mm. That's a big, but that's also a big assumption. You know, we, we've read a million times before that he he trusts in the ability of his players to uh, to overcome situations rather than you know, very very definitive um, individual orders. And yeah. so maybe it's it's his approach is not working anymore. Maybe they're not listening to him. It's probably a combination of all three, and the board um, is not pushing him. I mean, there are a million factors that are at play here, and and but ultimately he looks like he knows. Certainly on last night's evidence, he looks like he knows that he isn't going to bow out in the way he would like to buy to bow out yeah i think so i think so he he looked like he knew it was it was time himself and i don't think i've ever really got that 
uh, impression so vividly from him before, even if it's a suspicion I've had for quite a while that, that this might be his last season. We talk about the players and we talk about their preparation. Um, every single player that was put out on that pitch um, on Wednesday night is at the club because of Arsene Wenger. Hmm. Do, do you feel to an extent that even if the message isn't getting through, that they've let him down? Yeah, I think they have. I think they have to take a share of the blame because when the going has got tough on numerous occasions, they have not risen to the challenge. And um, I think they, you know, I I think to lose one or two nil or even three one or something to Bayern Munich is an absolutely normal result. But but to cave in like we did in the second half shows that it's 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 not just. it's definitely down to them as much as, as as anything else. They have to take some responsibility. And in the end of the day, are they being pushed hard enough or are they being made accountable enough for, for, for it? And I don't know whether they are. So whilst, yes, the buck stops 100% with Wenger and he'll probably be the one that, that pays the price predominantly, I think the players have to accept that they haven't done enough. Mm. On too many occasions this season, if you look back at this season, we've had some pretty good results. We've had one outstanding result, well, you know, in the Premier League. Yeah, um, That's it. Uh, so you know some decent results. Okay, Ludogorets was a great result with some good goals, but that really, in terms of the top top opposition, um, the, you know we've had too few results that have really sent out the kind of message that we want. So something is amiss, and it has been for a while. Yeah, and it it doesn't feel like he knows exactly how to change it because of. Uh, system issues or personnel issues and players that he's brought in, transfers that he's made to try and correct uh, some of the uh, deficiencies that he's seen in the squad. And yet, you know, here we are um, again after a a round of, well, we haven't quite gone out of the Champions League yet, but it does look like it's going to be seven successive years in in the round of 16. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, at at this point, something, something has to give. Are you in any way concerned that... Um, I've, I've, I've seen people say this, um, fans and uh, people who leave comments on the website and, you know, people who are, are truly invested in the club who are saying, well, look, you know, it might be better, it might be worse, but I don't really mind either way because it's it's just going to be different. It's not the same, that there, there will be whatever happens, uh, a freshness to it because it's a new man or a new uh, coaching team or whatever in charge. But how concerned would you be that it might get considerably worse um, when Wenger goes and there is this, um, all these roles within the club that need to be filled as well? Well, what I would say to that is ultimately it has to happen soon anyway. So even if he was just you know, hypothetically to take another two-year extension, that would be the last one. I think we can safely say that. And because uh, he'd be 70, what, 70, 71 by that point. And, and that, so, you know, the change has to happen at some point at Arsenal. It actually should have happened a few years ago. Uh, many people, myself included and yourself included, you know, respect the man so much, not just as a manager, but as a man uh, that, you know, you don't go you know, you, you kind of temper it a bit when you when when he's involved because he's given so much to the club and he's represented us in such a fantastic way. But um, it, it should have probably happened a few years ago. And um, and I've forgotten your question. We were just talking about whether it might get worse. Yeah, it could. Of yeah. course, it could. Because to to come second, third, or fourth for eighteen years is is a really quite quite an impressive achievement. Yeah. Um, well, actually, more higher than that, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but he's been in the Champions League for, for that long and we've come in the top four since our last title. It's it, it's a pretty good achievement. But like you say, it's sort of, the, it's the sameness of it 
uh, and the same sort of we come in roughly the same place every year which is good but not not what we you know not what we want we want with something a bit more exciting from time to time not that we expect to be winning it every year because it's you know life isn't like that and so it's the sameness i think that people crave something slightly different and yes it could get a lot worse of course it could because when he goes a lot of the players might go too something will change it might not change for the better managers don't always work out yeah reoc only lasted a season and you know so i think it would but i think people would be and, and I, I sort of feel this way myself as well um i quite like the idea of it being a bit different and you know if, if it works it works and if it doesn't then we're probably into the cycle of management it happens in every other club in the land now where it's two to three years a manager and you move and that's you know he is the last absolute last of that generation of managers who are there for this length of time do you have we'll any never see it yeah i mean do do you think that that might be when they do come to making the decision do you think they might try and find another Arsene Wenger or are they realistic enough to know that you know that that kind of a guy doesn't really exist these days I don't think it exists anymore and and I don't think anybody with the pressures that I think it's it's a more pressured environment than it was in 96 and he had time to build his place in the club and he had time to put you know to pretty much be the man that does everything and I don't think we'd have that mm. I don't think that I just don't think that would be that would happen anymore and I don't think the way football's going now is such a high stress high pressure job I don't think that the managers want to last 20 years in one job I just think Wenger and Ferguson are two absolute outliers like that in, in many respects you know it's so unusual in world football to last that long and and uh, that he that he has done is testament to his like his his hard work and his his ability but I don't think we'll see that ever again and and you know uh, I don't think it, it almost maybe it shouldn't have you know 20 years is too long that, I mean that could be what it is mm. alright well look um, thank you for your uh, perspective on this after a difficult week I just hope we have a manager who likes uh, his beans on toast without butter uh, because anyone else is essentially a monster in my eyes and I, I don't accept that at all I, I shall uh, I shall dispute that to the very end <laughs> alright well look you could be the manager I'll, I'll, I'll you know I'll have a man from East Lower out banner um, the second you take over. So, um, look, we better oh, leave God, it there. It's not me, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> I would be, I'd like to put it on record, I would be absolutely shite. At being the manager? <laughs> yes. Fair enough. We have that on the record. Uh, somebody could print it out and they could uh, they could uh, email that to Arsenal Football Club just in case, you know, they come knocking. So Yeah, just a T-shirt that says absolutely shite on it and I'll you know, probably wear it. All right, listen, thanks a million. We'll catch up soon. All right, cheers. See ya. There you go. The man from East Lower at East Lower uh, on Twitter, at East Lower, and of course, eastlower.co.uk, where he still does the occasional blog. He does he get his blog thing out and, and blogs away. Uh, so check it out, eastlore.co.uk. So there you go. There's our four guests, hopefully giving us slightly different and uh, interesting perspectives on the situation at Arsenal this week. What might happen, what has to happen, what should happen, what might not happen, how it might happen. Um, and I think we're all none the wiser. <laughs> but there you go. Um, had to be done. It just felt like a big week to get those uh, different points of view. Now, just before we go, because, uh, you know, we're well over the hour mark here. Welcome to the show, a man from the other side of the Atlantic, uh, with details of an event uh, that sounds tremendous fun. If you're an Arsenal fan in New York City or somewhere close enough to New York City that you could get there, Curtis Powers, how are you? How's it going, Andrew? It's going all right, Curtis. How's it going with you? Yeah, good. Thanks okay. for um, thanks for bringing me on this. Not at all, because um, 
what you're doing, obviously, you're the, uh, the president. You're not the president of America, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't be on the show if that were the case. Uh, probably not, but maybe you might bring some uh, some measure, measure of common sense to that role. But anyway, uh, that's beside the point. Uh, you're the president of Arsenal NYC, which is a New York City supporters club. And, uh, you know, we've been over there. We did the Arscast Extra over there. Uh, the end of September, yeah. which was a uh, tremendous fun, and obviously there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of Arsenal fans in New York City. Yeah, yeah, and it's been uh, it's been this this slow but yet very massive growth over the last, I guess, like ten years or so. And mm. so, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty exciting, to be honest with you. Yeah, what we've, what we've seen happen here. Uh, and you've got like not just one, but two, but th- three bars, maybe five <laughs> bars. Not, five, the, not five, that you uh, not that you own five bars. I'm bestowing all these thing presidencies and bar ownership on you. But like <laughs> Arsenal NYC, uh, there are five bars around the city where people can go and uh, watch the games. Yeah. Well, yeah. Initially, initially we started years back at the Blind Pig, and and we merged on. Actually, you joined us at uh, O'Hanlon's mm. when when the club were over back in uh, 2014, and uh, we've we've merged into Brooklyn at the the Highbury Pub because I mean it'd be rude not to. Uh, Woodwork, and uh, most recently the the Barleycorn, which uh, we had you at the the Arscast New York City. Mm. So yeah, we're we're pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and, and it's not just a case of uh, watching games. Uh, there are other things going on events uh, that you're trying to put in place and obviously uh, to to give people a connection with the club not not just on a match day but to give it a sense of the the history of the club and and uh, what what maybe has come before because a lot of the fans will have will have uh, come to support Arsenal in fairly recent years yeah agreed and and you know I, I think I, I've said this for quite a while a lot of people were blank slate uh, you know up, up until the last 10 you know 20 years or even you know four or five years and uh, we always wanted to be a club that was a bit more than just uh, a bunch of guys at the end of the bar just getting pissed and and, and watching the football not that there's anything uh, not amazing <laughs> about that uh, but uh, but at the same time you know we, we definitely wanted to kind of bridge that uh, that experience that, uh, that it was educational that they were that we we were kind of providing a bit of a uh, an education and in, into the club that wasn't just delivered through the through the TV or whoever the commentators were. Mm. Uh, we we wanted to to take that a bit further, and uh, you know we we did that a bit with you uh, not too long ago, and and uh, we've got a very special guest uh, coming up here soon as well. Yeah, I, I mean uh, maybe there's a theme here, but uh, another Irishman and one who is you know <laughs> uh, you know I'll freely admit a lot better than than I am at you know football <laughs> anyway, and certainly his contribution to Arsenal Football Club. So at the end of the end of February, February twenty fifth, it's yeah. it's Liam yeah. Brady. Liam Brady. The one and one and only, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh well I guess he's he's not the one and the only because there isn't there are other Liam Brady's in the world, but uh, he is the one and only uh uh, Arsenal, Republic of Ireland legend that uh, will be gracing us in, in New York City. Yeah, okay. Us with his presence. So tell me what what is going to happen? What's the, what's the deal with the event? Yeah, so we're we're doing an event that uh, it, it's kicking off what we're hoping to be a, a just a great series of football talks in New York City, and uh, uh, it's called Extra Time, and uh, we've partnered with Eight by Eight Magazine, who I know you're familiar with. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, we'll be uh, having a conversation with also a gentleman called JJ Devaney, who works uh, at the uh, ESPN Caught Offside Soccer Podcast here in New York City as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're going to be talking to Liam um, both on on the 
levels of everything from his uh, Republic of Ireland career to uh, his Arsenal career. And uh, we may even dabble into a little bit of, uh, of his exit to Juve and, and, and oh, other things. I'm but uh, crying essentially, now thinking about he, it. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but, uh, you know, Liam has a, a great story and, and he met with me for uh, uh, some, some pints before the, uh, the awful Watford game uh, a few weeks back. And, uh, um, but it was the highlight of my evening, obviously, you can imagine. Sure. Uh, but, you know, just the, just the history that he brings and the fact that he was, he really was an innovator in almost every step of his career. And so, you know, I just want to be able to paint that picture as to how football's changed and how he's, how he's seen, you know, the, the, the grand extension of it, if you will. Of course. And his, uh, his connection with Arsenal is ongoing. Uh, he was part mm-hmm. of the, the youth setup and, and certainly through the advent of the Premier League years would have been the man in charge when we saw uh, a lot of good young players come through. So I assume that'll be on the agenda too. Certainly, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, just the fact that he's had that insight, you know, obviously from from a player to, uh, to to the youth director, but he's also the one person that, you know, obviously sat along and, and worked with uh, Arsene Wenger, who is obviously it's a, it's a contentious conversation amongst Arsenal fans. Uh, but uh, I think being able to see his his rationale be behind that relationship and kind of understanding mm. uh, maybe a little bit more of that. I think that, that that brings a bit of an interesting conversation to it. All right. So let me just let me just spell it out. This is what it is. It's an Arsenal mm. legend, like a, a bona fide Arsenal legend, <laughs> uh, truly one of the greatest players to ever, ever have played uh, for Arsenal Football Club. He's going to be Indeed. in New York City. He's going to be in the Barley Corn um, yeah. down near Wall Street. There's going to yes. be... Beer, comfortable chairs, food. <laughs> you guys are going to chew the fat with Liam. People can come along and and uh, and enjoy that. Is there a bit of Q and A, or is that scheduled yeah, in? Yeah, so we're going to do a bit of a talk, and then we're going to open it up to a Q and A. Um, we've also got a, a really really nice commemorative poster that uh, you can see artwork for mm. uh, that we'll be selling, and, and he'll be uh, signing and, and doing some. Uh, uh, some photographs as well. Uh, we'll open it up to a bit of, of Q and A, uh, and we're actually pretty excited. And we don't exactly know what yet, but our, our friends at uh, Puma Football are going to give us some some kind of fun stuff to to give away for the, for those that uh, arrive. Okay, so, so when yeah, it's, it should be a fun day. It should be. So it's what February twenty fifth. February twenty fifth. Yeah, from three o'clock. Okay, and, uh, that's a Saturday, right? Go, that is a Saturday. It was it was initially planned to be after the Southampton match, right? Um, likely uh, we didn't think that uh, they were I mean I don't know why we didn't think that but didn't really assume that they were going to make it past Liverpool and uh, they did <laughs> and so uh, therefore we no longer have a match that day but uh, uh, so it's a bit hard of a sell for people to come from from afar but uh, it's something that you don't want to miss and obviously you can go to uh, facebook.com uh, slash Arsenal NYC or Twitter Instagram all of those and you can find the, uh, the actual ticket links to, to come and be a part of this perfect okay Okay, well, look, uh, what else would you be doing at three o'clock on a Saturday in New York City, apart from getting down to the barley corn to uh, to uh, take part in this fantastic Liam Brady Arsenal NYC event? You can find links uh, to the tickets uh, on today's post on Ars blog as well. So uh, so check that out. Uh, sorry, I can't be there for this from Curtis. It sounds like a, a brilliant thing, but good luck with it. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Take care.
Liam Brady in New York City. What a buzz that would be. So if you can make it to that event, I would highly recommend it. He's got some great stories from his time as a player and obviously working at the club uh, down the years in the youth setup and uh, with Arsene Wenger. So lots and lots to talk about at that. And uh, check out the ticket links. They're on the site. Now, I know we do have a game against Sutton United on Monday night, but we don't have any team news yet. And it's very difficult to preview that game beyond the fact that we're Arsenal and we're playing a non-league team away from home on an artificial pitch. What could go wrong? What could go wrong, especially at this moment in time? But we will be talking about that game over the weekend, of course. Read about it on Arsblog, and of course we'll have all the news over the weekend on Arsblog News. That is news.arsblog.com. News.arsblog.com. We need readers and visitors and tell your friends and all that kind of stuff, but we'll be covering all that stuff over the weekend. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Thank you very much indeed for being here bit longer than usual uh, as we spoke about earlier james and i will be here on no not monday tuesday the day after the uh, Sutton united game so hopefully the mood is slightly lifted by whatever happens there uh, have yourselves a great weekend i'll catch you on the next one until then cheers bye-bye lesson is that uh, you meet in your life the possibility to share the values that are important for you. And why did I stay at Arsenal? You know that I had plenty of opportunities to go to very glamorous clubs, but I think when you found what is important for you, that means the, the, you share the values that are important for you with your club. Don't be stupid enough just for an ego or a glory problem to go somewhere else. And I'm very proud of that. I resisted to uh, attractions who look much more glorious just to be faithful to what I believe is right in life. There was plenty of things I would have done differently. I think uh, what I want to be looked at is that uh, I carried through these generations the values of my club through with absolute commitment and with absolute loyalty. And I uh, gave absolutely my best to develop the players, show the players how great football can be if we get over our ego and put our uh, qualities together. Did I make mistakes? Of course, plenty, but that's part of my experience as well.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.